on the 1st of October, uh, I will have been at the church for seven years. Uh, in the months leading up to that date, I spent a significant amount of time with the elders, some time with the church family, and also got to speak at Ascend one Sunday evening. Uh, on that evening, uh, I spoke on one of the Beatitudes. So Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In preparation for that, I got Rachel to film me for an illustration. So I had two glasses of orange juice. So one was just pure orange juice. I took a drink of it. It tasted lovely and it was good for me. Uh, in the second glass, I um, started adding in things. So I kind of had a, a raid of the fridge uh, and cupboards and found like some barbecue sauce and ketchup, mayonnaise, garlic puree, soy sauce, and some other things. And so I started adding these things in and I had to take a drink of that as well. And I promise you, I didn't taste any of the orange juice in it. It tasted revolting. Now, this was to demonstrate that we can pollute our lives with many other influences to the point where we can no longer see God. When we don't see God, we can no longer live for him and we glorify something other than God who is worthy. After we finished recording that, myself and Rachel were watching it back and there was no sound to it. And we're like, why is there no sound? And then we realized that uh, Rachel by accident had covered the microphone with her thumb as she was recording it. So we had to do it all over again. Through Ezra at 9 and 10, we find uh, Ezra has arrived in Jerusalem and he sees that some of the Israelite men have married uh, women from other nations, despite this being something that God had prohibited. And you can read about that in Exodus and Deuteronomy. God desired for them to follow him, to worship him alone, to be his people that would declare his glory to the world. As the Israelite men married women from other nations, their eyes would be taken off gods and possibly led to worship the gods of these other nations. Chapter 9 focuses on Ezra's prayers. He mourns the decision of the people, whilst chapter 10 speaks of how the nation repents. This passage has some incredibly important things to bring before us about sin and repentance. And these aren't always easy things to talk about, but we need to talk about them. But before we dive into that, I need to address the issue of marriage and divorce that is in this passage. Reading the Bible, a text written hundreds, thousands of years ago, can sometimes be challenging. And this is definitely one of those passages that can startle us a bit. As we grapple with a passage like this, it's vitally important that we understand the unfolding history of how God shared his love and shared himself with the world that we live in. In the Old Testament, God's people had a fundamentally different view of how God operates in the world than we do now this side of the cross. In the Old Testament, his work and covenant relationship was entirely through one people, and that was Israel. But God's plan was always that through that people would come a saviour, Jesus, who would open up a connection to God for all people. That means when we read the Old Testament, we encounter some strange ethnocultural issues, and, and this is one of them. What we need to know now is that the details of this are fundamentally different in God's new covenant. In this passage, we see the Israelite men divorce those wives who did not worship the Lord. Jesus and Paul are explicitly clear that we should not do as listed here in Ezra 9 and 10. Interestingly, God never actually commands his people to do this. They think this is the honouring thing to God. 
but it's not something that God explicitly asks of them. 1 Corinthians 7 uh, shares specifically on this if you'd like to read some more. And there's obviously a lot more that could be said on this topic, but I don't want, want us to miss the big picture in this passage. In this passage, we see a clear picture of repentance, mourning over sin, the importance of confession, the actions to come from this, and right in centre is a reminder that we have a forgiving Heavenly Father. The issues that we face today may be different from our passage, but we will all know of things that we turn our eyes from God, those things that bring out the worst in us, the areas of life that clamour for our attention, our resources and our adoration. As we consider those things, our sinfulness, I'm unsure we would react in the same way that Ezra does in our passage. We see a picture of a man who is utterly broken by the people's sin. Not even just his, but the actions of others. So here's a few examples of what we see. In, in chapter 9, verse 3, we see that he's tearing his cloak, he's pulling his hair out, he's pulling his beard out. In chapter 10, verse 1, we find him lying on the floor, lying face down on the floor, weeping. And in verse 6 of chapter 10, we see that he's not eating or drinking as he is mourning over the people's faithlessness. Twice in chapter 9, it states that he was appalled by the acts of the people. Despite them being given the second chance to return to Jerusalem, they did not learn from the mistakes of the past that had led them to be exiles in the first place. So what is at the root of sin? John Piper says, every sin flows from the failure to treasure the glory of God above all things. As we consider our own sinfulness and the sin that surrounds us, we're not grieved with sin just for the sake of it. We're not grieved because we've just failed to be good. This is about recognising the greatness and the holiness of God. Recognising the worship that he deserves and being grieved that we've not treasured him above all things. We're grieved that our perfect, loving, merciful God isn't receiving what he is due. We're called to be a holy nation to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvellous light. Sin means we've proclaimed a different message. I found Ezra's reaction to sin challenging and maybe our reaction to sin or a lack of reaction it gives us an indication of our picture of the holiness and the glory of God. I'm not suggesting that all men need to start pulling their beards out, but there should be a response that does speak of God's holiness. Friends, sin is serious and we need to talk about it. I think we probably need to be more comfortable talking about it. If we want to be a people who desire for God to be glorified, then we should be saddened by sin. But we must not remain in that place. Sin leads us away from God. We have a perfect, holy, heavenly Father who can't be in the presence of sin. For us to be with him, there needs to be a solution to that separation. And Jesus came to be the solution. Sin doesn't have the final say. In verse 2 of chapter 10, there are five words that just stand out so clearly in this passage. And they are, even now, there is hope. 
Despite the actions taken by the people, there was hope. Despite our sin, there is hope. This hope is all because of and is found in Jesus. There is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. It's only Jesus who can deal with our sin. He went to the cross for me and for you so that we could be forgiven. He died in my place and in your place so that sin need not have the final word. Jesus' sacrifice bridged the gap of separation and instead of us being seen as sinners, in the eyes of God, we're, we're seen as saints. We do not need to stay in that place of shame, guilt and mourning, but we can live in the knowledge that Jesus' sacrifice has washed it away. No matter what you have done in this past week or month, his sacrifice is sufficient for us. Remember these words, even now there is hope because of Jesus. All we must do is confess, turn to him, trust in him. He does the rest. He is gracious and kind. He is quick to forgive, quick to remove the stain of sin, quick to welcome us into his loving arms. He is the God of second, third, fourth and so on chances. Even now there is hope. During these past six months, you may have felt a growing sense of isolation and I want to encourage you, don't let that be the case. Make some, some decisions that ensure you are with brothers and sisters in Christ, sharing in God's words and in your journeys of faith. In our passage, we see that Ezra gathers the entire nation together to speak of this matter that has arisen and publicly they confess of their sin. Later in the chapter, we see that they take a period of three months um, to, to speak with every man regarding their individual case. They spoke about sin as a nation and in smaller groups. As the nation confessed, they made no excuse. They gave no mitigating circumstances. They simply owned what they had done. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. He knows exactly what we've done. But yet, there's something deeply powerful in confession to God and others. It is a humbling time where we lay our pride down. It's a worshipful moment where we declare of his holiness and our great need of his mercy. It's us proclaiming his excellency to him, to ourselves and to others. It's us stating our need of Jesus. Confession and repentance isn't a once-in-a-lifetime moment when we come to faith, but it should be a part of our daily walk as long as we live. Earlier this year, myself, Harley and Martin, uh, we read a book together by a guy called Paul Tripp called Dangerous Calling. In it, he speaks of us each needing a daily ministry of intervention. In that, we need to daily ask the Holy Spirit to convict us of what we need to turn from and allow others that we trust to speak into our lives too. Paul Tripp speaks of our faith as being a community project, our repentance of being a community project. We are the body of Christ who all deeply needs one another. We don't ostracize those who have sinned, but we stand with them and point them back to the cross of Christ and join them in our deep thankfulness for God's mercy which we need every day as well. Confession with others, I don't pretend, is an easy thing. 
Uh, Ezra seemed to be overwhelmed by his role in calling the people to repent, uh, and he needed encouragement as well. So in verse 4 of chapter 10, uh, this guy called Shechaniah says to Ezra, Arise, for it is your task, and we are with you. Be strong and do it. Confession needs both parties to show humility, both to show love, and also strength to not allow someone to go down a path that could so easily be destructive. And we need the Spirit's help in that. The call for us to confess is repeated in James 5, 16, where it says, Therefore, confess your sins and pray for one another. I'm not suggesting that you need to confess to the whole church, but I am suggesting that each of us needs to find a person or a small group of trusted individuals where you confess your struggles and simply say, I need help. I need help to live a life that will glorify God to be holy as he is holy. I need you to pray for me in this matter. There is no shame in that whatsoever. Rather, it is a beautiful demonstration of how you treasure the glory of God. Lastly, we see that the confession led to action. Mourning is appropriate. Confession is powerful. Hope is fundamental from that place. Action then needs to come. And again, it's not action for action's sake. This action is worship to our God. The action that the people of Israel took, it wasn't just a, a simple checkbox that was ticked off. This was something that was considered. It was something that they gave time to. They took three months and they took some decisions that I'm sure would have been very hard for them to follow through on. Now again, I think this points towards the understanding of the weight of sin and their desire to glorify God. In Mark chapter 9, we see Jesus speaking about temptation to sin and metaphorically the lengths we should take to remove the temptation, to flee from sin. So Mark 9, 43 to 47 says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one foot than to be thrown into hell with two feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Friends, take action against sin. Be willing to take action at great cost as an act of worship. Ask an accountability partner for help. Ask the Lord for his help. Ask the Lord to change your affections, to desire him alone. Ask him for the strength to offer your body as a living sacrifice. Ask him to renew your heart and mind. Mourning is appropriate. Confession is powerful. Hope is fundamental and action is required. Treasure him above all other things. For those times when we fall, keep coming back to the cross of Christ. Keep coming to Jesus, the only one who can save, the one who lavishes us with his love, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. Keep coming back to Jesus. Amen.